Welcome back to See, Hear, Feel. I'm very excited to be here with Dr. Katie Jobbins, who is an Associate Program Director in the Internal Medicine Department at the University of Massachusetts in Bay State in Springfield, Massachusetts. She is a primary care internist at High Street Health Center Adult and an academic hospitalist at Bay State Medical Center. She received her undergraduate degree in nutrition science from Syracuse University and a master's in science from Case Western Reserve University in nutrition and metabolism. She attended Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine and graduated in 2010. Initially, interestingly, she started her training in general surgery at the Cleveland Clinic, South Point, but after two years found her true passion was in internal medicine, and she completed three years of residency in internal medicine at Bay State Medical Center and stayed on as chief resident in 2015 to 2016. In her current role as associate program director in the Bay State Department of Internal Medicine, she serves as a primary care preceptor in the resident clinic and academic hospitalist, um, director of the resident self-reflection, wellness, and ambulatory quality improvement curriculum. She is also co-director of the Humanities Track and director of the Chief Resident Leadership Curriculum for the Health System. She leads a, quote, Be the Change Social Justice, unquote, working group, focusing on health inequities in patient care and in medical education. Look at the show notes for even more on this amazing woman. And I will just end her biography by saying that she recently won one of the AMA Inspiration Awards for her work in medical education and was the American Medical Women's Association 2021 recipient of the Exceptional Mentor Award. Congratulations to Dr. Jobbins, to Katie, and thank you so much, Katie, for being here today. It's an honor. I'm excited to talk to you more about everything. I love an article that you wrote that's in the Journal of Graduate Medical Education, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You wrote in that article, I realized how listening offered another way for us to heal, perhaps not our physical pains, but our emotional ones. Can you expand on how you think listening offers a way for us to heal? Ultimately, for me, why I wrote this article was about a time when my mom was really sick and we were in the hospital and I was on the other side of it. I was already a physician. I was in my residency. I walked in the room and you know things were not going well. And all of a sudden, my sister made a comment about how all of a sudden I flipped a switch. And I switched from being her daughter and this person to being a physician. And she was like, I watched this mask come over you. She goes, where did that come from? That's not who you are. You are a passionate person. You have lots of emotions. And it was like, I literally pulled the shroud down. She said to me, I don't know what just happened, but make it go away. Well, what did I just do? Why did I do it? And where did that come from? And it made me start to talk about this, not only with my family, but with my colleagues and be like, well, why do we do that? Like, why are we not understanding how we really can take care of each other, but also care for our patients better? I started to listen more to my patients and listen to my friends more. And it just changed the whole dynamic of recognizing that we as humans oftentimes need to listen to each other. But also, if we listen to our patients, and it doesn't even take that long, and they've done studies on this, if we listen to them, we're likely to hear more of the story of what they need. and. The whole concept of if you talk about your emotions, the bigness, the big feelings that we feel go away in time and actually can get easier to deal with. As a physician, recognize that hiding these feelings actually makes them much bigger and actually leads to burnout, leads to anxiety, leads to stressors that I never imagined. It's okay to feel. It's okay to listen. And it's okay to recognize that sometimes someone just needs you to listen. We can't fix all their problems. In that same article that I mentioned, you also write, tears, not a sign of weakness, but a sign of humanity. How do you think doctors can best show their humanity to patients? 
I think it's really important to recognize that it might actually be the stronger thing to say that I'm sad and I feel things with you. I'm here with you. I think as a physician, especially with the doctor-patient relationship, being there with a patient actually means being there all the way and not disengaging, not numbing yourself. It is much better to be a human being and be your full self, be your authentic self with a patient, with your colleagues in a meeting than it is to be someone who is hiding that. It allows for us to have a deeper connection and oftentimes models the behavior we want our trainees to do. It is our natural state of being to have a gamut of emotions. It does come from the most well-intentioned place, I think, for the all the doctors that I know that strength equals not showing emotion. Recently, I my son's been having some medical issues and I was with his vision therapist, I was upset because I I felt he was saying that I'm a pushy mom and that's something I definitely don't want to be. He didn't say so much in these words, but that maybe my son's issue with his vision was partially related to stress from me because of me being a pushy mom. So I just became overwhelmed and flooded with emotion and quote, negative, unquote, emotions, many of them, like also some amount of anger and denial, like how dare he say that? You know, he doesn't know what goes on in our home. And I knew I was upset and I was about to hide it from him. And then I just thought, whatever, this vision stuff is so important. I let myself feel the emotions. So of course, I started crying. I could tell he was very uncomfortable with the fact that I was crying, but he, he was like, please sit down look at me, look in my eyes. He sat with it and he sat with me. I wouldn't say it was fun for me, but I think it was better than the alternative, which would have been that I didn't talk to him about it. He is my son's therapist right now. I, I don't have plans to leave him for someone else. It was an important conversation that had to happen. Like you said, like that therapist was with you on that journey and said those things to you so you could actually process them. If that therapist had seen a little bit more with his emotional intelligence and recognized, oh, what I just said was really hurtful, maybe I should check in to make sure they're okay. You know, there is a big continuum of emotional intelligence. People feel shame when they feel emotions, which is such an interesting concept. This whole idea that we shame ourselves for, oh, I wasn't strong enough. You turned something that was about a lot of other things into shaming yourself, which is what we in healthcare are really, really good at doing. Our negative self-talk is our default. We are perfectionists. We shame ourselves for, oh, I wasn't strong enough, or I, I shouldn't have said that, or like you said, I'm a bad mom. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but I guess I bet shame underlies a lot of that. I think shame is a big component of the hidden curriculum in medicine. It's that culture of perfection and the culture of not showing emotions and being problem solvers. I think it reminds me of the article in the New York Times about Lorna Dune, the emergency department physician who unfortunately took her life during the pandemic. And I highly recommend reading that article if anyone hasn't already, because it gives a window onto the amazing things that physicians can do, but also the limits of what physicians can do. The end of the article to me is so striking because it ends with a quote from her where she says something like, I couldn't do anything. And it's referring to, I think she meant she couldn't stop the pandemic in its tracks. And not only that, she couldn't really help a lot of the people who were pouring into, I think she was overseeing at least two emergency rooms, maybe three in Manhattan, which was one of the centers of the epidemic at that time. And I read the article thinking, what do you mean you couldn't do anything you were doing? An inhuman 
amount for her to have come away feeling that she hadn't done anything. I think it's just so mind boggling. And yet I see that in the way that physicians, my colleagues who I highly respect act, right? We think we somehow think that we are cut out to do. And it's kind of crazy sometimes when I realize what I'm actually expecting of myself. I read that article. I definitely resonated with that. And I felt very similarly. Like I felt like there was, I, there was so much to do. I was getting redeployed and working crazy hours and changing in my garage, you know, and like basically scalding off my skin. And when I read that, I was like, that's exactly how I felt. It is sometimes completely inhumane what we think of what we're supposed to do. It really has disconnected us to who we are and where we are. I focus a lot on this with my trainees is that this whole act of being kind, if you're not kind to yourself and you're that hard on yourself, recognize how that really can affect us long-term. Yes, you're so wise. As a medical educator, what do you think is the role of emotional intelligence in doctoring? I think it's extremely important. The great thing about emotional intelligence, it can be learned. It is not static. If we are able to really navigate, oh, this room is tense. Why is it tense? If we start to get really good at this, you'll almost have like that spidey sense that'll start to tingle and you're like, oh, I need to maybe back off a little bit. Allows for you to recognize what you need in that moment and what the person you're with needs. Not only recognizing where the person you're with is at, but where are you at? Are you in the right place to have this really difficult conversation? And if you're not, honor that and say, you know, we need to talk about this, but I'm not really in a good headspace for this. Can I come back in 30 minutes or however long you need? For me, it's really something that I try to model for my trainees about the importance of that. On a day when I'm not okay, being like, I'm not okay today. You know, like my kid didn't sleep. I got a flat tire. This happens. You know, a patient yelled at me. A patient was crying because they had a bad diagnosis. Honoring where we are is a really great way you can start with your emotional intelligence. And then if you want to learn how to be better at this, ask for feedback. Have someone come in the room with you when you're doing a difficult conversation and actually get educated about this. This is not something you are just born with. Some people are. Some people are fantastic at this from the start. Other people don't have a lot of exposure to this or don't even know where to start. Really being curious about what emotional intelligence looks like, I think is one of the most things that I really try to foster into my trainees. Like, Be curious. Why did this go really well? What went poorly? How can we do it a different way the next time? And really focusing on growing. That's one of the best ways to really learn how to be better at emotional intelligence. Uh, yes. How do you balance problem solving? You know, because I think doctors are problem solvers and getting patients the right diagnosis and treatment with truly listening and caring because visits are very short. How do you do that? So asking them, I'm like, okay, so what's important for you today? You know, oftentimes we have patients who have many, many diagnoses. So I think really creating an agenda that allows for the patient to feel heard, but also recognizing that there are other factors that we have that are time constraints and being open about that. That's very well said. Do you have any final thoughts? One of the most important things when, you know, like I wrote this article was this whole concept of kindness and how we can be kind to ourselves. Anyone who's listening to this, if you need help, ask for it. And don't forget to be kind to yourself. It's one of the most important things we can do. I love that. Yes. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I so appreciate it. It was great to be here. Thanks for asking me to be here.